Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh yeah. Talk Memphis. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, good morning and welcome to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Jeremy Jones and Scott Jordan. They're part of the team that I work with, and these guys are dedicated to offering excellent quality advice. And then we're going to do this program with a guy that you're familiar with, one that you request a lot of information from him. It's constantly being listened to. That's Kurt Cernowski with Cernowski Consulting and he does an excellent job explaining Social Security. So with Scott and Jeremy here, we're going to tie in two or three things. Social Security, how important it plays into our mindset of part of retirement. And then they're going to kind of answer questions about the decisions that you make when you're approaching retirement or the decisions that you seek counsel for. If you happen to be that 30, 35-year-old person Who's listening? You're probably one of the consultants that somebody like your dad comes to you and says, what do you think about this and stuff? So it's the reason why you should be listening. So let me start out, though, with you guys, Jeremy Scott, both of you. The decision that we make sometimes, usually it's 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 in your experience, because you guys really we work with a lot of people retiring. What usually leads a person to make that decision to retire and to leave the workforce and in reality, how do we feel about it? Scott, you start. Well, Jim, a lot of times it's for, for wealth reasons, for lack of a better word. You know, they have, they feel like they have the financial resources. They've done a good job of saving their entire life, and they're just ready to leave the workforce. But um, oftentimes it's also for health reasons, either yeah. the health of the worker or taking time off to care for a loved one or spouse. We see that a lot as well. Jeremy? Well, I think it's, you know, when we say health, I think it's not only just health today and what they're feeling it's their potential health and a lot of people think that some some jobs and some careers are putting a lot of health strain and potential strain with stress and things like that so they want to be ahead of that so their health is not affected in the future i know you guys talk about the decision you know those two reasons wealth and health but a lot of times people that enjoy what they do really get i talked to a guy yesterday and he said no way do i want to retire before 70 71 70, because he absolutely loves doing what he's doing. Well, if you guessed just just to just tuned in, you're, we're talking with Jeremy Jones, Scott Jordan. Coming up after our break, Kurt Zornowski, the guy, the mind behind Social Security. Now, here's what the question is. Scott said it. When they think they're ready. Well, that's a big question. So stay with us, because when we come back, we're going to find out all the breakdowns of what helps you be ready. We start with Kurt, Social Security. These guys tie it into the psychological reasons sometimes that people go through when it comes to retirement. Stay tuned. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. We'll be right back after this. Oh, 
Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Right now, we have two separate wrecks on northbound Midtown 248 Union Avenue, a wreck on Knight Arnold at Clearbrook, Park Avenue just east of Highland, and Southern Avenue at Goodlett. That accident's just reported police are en route. This report is brought to you by the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, someone you know is suffering from Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. They're dealing with excruciating pain in days when they won't be able to get out of bed. Help someone you know and support the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America at ccfa.org. I'm Heather Yorker Traffic on AM 990. AM 990 Weathercast is brought to you by Herbie Systems Residential and Industrial Lawn Care. Call 901-382-LAWN. Here's your forecast. Expect more rain today, tonight, and tomorrow with high temperatures in the lower 80s and overnight lows in the mid-70s. Many areas will see between a half and three-quarters of an inch of rain throughout the day, even an isolated thundershower. A cold front Saturday night should start to clear us up by Sunday. The Racquet Club proud to introduce a new wellness program. It's called Live Well. Wellness is not a destination. It's a lifestyle. For more information, call the Racquet Club today. I'm News Channel 3's Todd Demers. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services is affiliated with Kurt Zornowski or Zornowski Consulting, helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money. And now your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. We have one of those programs that literally it's information packed and we're going to do everything we can to peel this onion because it's got the guys that know all your questions. And it's amazing. How many questions we get when we have this guy on the phone because he does a great job. He's from Boston, uh, you know, and we excuse that. He kind of laughs at us a little bit. That's okay. We laugh back at him because um, it's just he can't help it. I mean, you know, part of it's the way it is. But president and founder of Zarnowski Consultants, welcome to the program, my dear friend. Car- thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is the first time I've ever been a... Referred to as an onion before, so thanks for that uh, glorious introduction. We're going to peel that onion back. Peel the onion, huh? Yeah. You know, Kurt, you do such a good job. And we've had, we constantly have a lot of questions. And it's after we even go through the changes that took place in April of this year, the constant questions appear to be, I have two guests with me, two guys with me, and you know them, you know, Jeremy Jones, Scott Jordan. They're here. They're going to do some things about literally traditioning into retirement coming through that process, and so Social Security and retirement are so connected, but we always kind of get this idea, how do you become eligible? This is a question that, you know, if I, we just had somebody just recently to go down to the office of Social Security here in Memphis, and they were expecting one set of answers, and they got different answers than their expectations. So my question is, let's start very fundamental, very basic, how does someone become eligible for retirement benefits? 
Sure, and, and let's start by noting that uh, Social Security just celebrated its 81st birthday. Legislation signed into law by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, August 14, 1935. So happy birthday, happy Social birthday. Security. Happy birthday, yes. Yeah. Happy birthday, Social Security. Great. But one of the hallmarks of Social Security from day one has always been it's an earned right to benefits, that you qualify for Social Security payments because you have worked and have worked in a job where Social Security tax, FICA tax, Federal Insurance Contributions Act tax, is deducted from your pay, or you are the spouse of or the child of someone who has worked and paid into the Social Security program. So let's start out with that basic requirement that there be a connection to the workforce, either by you, your spouse, or your parent. Now, somebody works in a job under the Social Security umbrella these days, and about 98% of the jobs in this country do fall under the Social Security umbrella. Last group of Holdouts are state and local employees in a number of jurisdictions, but by and large, Social Security has evolved into the nation's pension system. And you work in a job where you are paying into the Social Security program. In 2016, you will pay 6.2% in Social Security tax on the first $118,500 that you make. It's interesting to note there has always been a cap, if you will, on the level of earnings that have been subject to Social Security tax. But you as an employee pay 6.2% on the first $118,500 that you make this year. That's matched by your employer. And if someone happens to be self-employed, they have the privilege, as they say, putting privilege in quotation marks, of paying the combined employer-employee rate. Now, just parenthetically, People in that same job will pay an additional 1.45% Medicare tax, and that helps fund Medicare Hospital Insurance Program, or Part A of Medicare. Medicare tax, that's going to be imposed on every dollar that you make. The cap is only on Social Security earnings for the cash benefits program. So basically, you're working in a job, you're paying tax. But the question is, how long... Do you need to have worked under the program, or how do you vest, if you will, and qualify for benefits? Now, when the program started, the system that was set up was called Earning Quarters of Coverage, or QCs. People may have been familiar with that term in the early days of the program. You got coverage and protection because you worked in that job, and as long as you made at least $50 during a calendar quarter of the year, January, February, March, April, May, June, whatever. As long as you made at least $50 in earnings covered under Social Security, during a calendar quarter of the year, you would earn one quarter of coverage. And because there are four quarters in a year, you could earn a maximum of four quarters of coverage during a calendar year. Well, in 1978, Congress changed the system, made it a lot easier for people to qualify for benefits under Social Security, moved away from this calendar-driven system, so you now qualify by earning Social Security credits, term of art now called Social Security credits. And in 2016, you work in a job covered under Social Security, you earn one Social Security credit for each $1,260 that you happen to make. Now, the key thing is, it doesn't matter when you make the money. You can still earn a maximum of four credits 
during the calendar year, but it means if during the course of the year you have earnings of $5,040 or more, and that's 1260 bucks times four, you've earned your maximum of four Social Security credits for the calendar year, meaning you could work just on New Year's Day, make $5,040, you've gone and earned your four credits for the year. Same way you could do nothing all year, but on New Year's Eve, make at least $5,040, you've earned your four credits for the year. So it's a lot easier to get coverage and protection. And the bottom line on all of this is to qualify for a Social Security retirement benefit, you need to have accumulated 40, 40 Social Security quarters of coverage and or Social Security credits during your entire working lifetime. That's the equivalent, if you think about it, Jim, of 10 years of work under the system. Now, do you have to earn four credits in a year? No, you can't earn more than four. Now, do you have to earn 40 credits consecutively? Absolutely not. But once you've accumulated 40 Social Security credits during your working lifetime, you've got your foot in the door, you are vested, if you will, in the Social Security program, and you'll absolutely qualify for something from Social Security each and every month when the time comes. And we can talk about what when the time comes means and how much that's going to be, but that's basically how you get your foot in the door for retirement benefits. You need to have accumulated 40 Social Security credits and or quarters of coverage, the equivalent of working 10 years under the system. And, you know, the system really provides a lot. A lot of times we forget, back in the 70s and the 80s, 60s, 70s and the 80s, we had something going on. Jeremy wants to talk to you about this. And Jeremy sees it because we now are working with those people preparing for retirement, the ones that are 60, 62, 63, and they did something that is now coming back. To haunt him. Jeremy, ask the question. Well, I think it's about, uh, you know, the great example is talking about opting out. And we've talked about this before. And when you say opt out, what are you opting out for? Yeah. You know, you're just thinking the terminology Social Security. Well, what else are you opting out for? What do you what benefits are you losing? And that situation that we're in with this client is they opt out and they actually did have some credits. The spouse has some credits and is short some credits. So now we're not only talking about the cost of opting out, but we're also talking about how do we earn those extra credits. And you just went through that, which was great. But I think also, too, how is it calculated? And can they opt back in? Yeah. And can they opt back in? And, uh, you know, you obviously know that answer. They know that answer now, but, uh, you know, their options are limited and now they're trying to reach their, their credits to be eligible. But how is that figure calculated then? And I guess, Kurt, what would you tell them? I mean, here's a couple that did that, and there's, we're seeing several. This happens to be a pastor. And well, uh, what, what do you, how do you counsel him at this point? What do you say to him? Uh, <laughs> okay, never mind. Don't put me on the spot. <laughs> well, you know, that's my job, man. No, You're but, good. But, you know, there was a very limited opportunity for folks in the religious community to opt out of the system a one-time opportunity. I don't believe they have the opportunity to get back in, and I don't think it's been repeated. That Basically, it's now a mandatory participation. If you're in a job covered under Social Security, you're in, and there is no option anymore for people opting out. So to tell me that, if they opted out in the 70s, the chances of getting back in the program. So let's suppose they go to the work for they They retired from the church. They have no Social Security. They go to work for 
a, a, a retail store and the retail store says, well, we're going to pay your Social Security. Are they opting back in automatically, or are they permanently well, uh, so opting? So basically, the opting out provision pertained to that position as a pastor. Okay. So yeah, so they want to go to work in a job which is now covered under the Social Security program. Oh, sure, absolutely. They're going to continue to pay Social Security, or they will now be paying Social Security tax based on that new job. The issue was they'd opted out for the position as the pastor, and there was no opportunity for them if they remained as the pastor to try and get back in Uh, and then pay Social Security tax based on their work in the church. But yeah, so now they take a second job. They're going to resume paying Social Security tax, assuming that job is covered under the system, and regular rules apply, 40 credits, they're going to qualify for something. But on on the eligibility for that 40 credits, though, Kurt, when you just get those, say I'm short five credits and I'm retired, and I just do the minimum to get those credits. Yep. The calculation for my for my Social Security benefit, there's no minimum, correct? Absolutely not. And that's, uh, you know, it's something we can get into. Basically, so you get your 40 credits, you get your foot in the door, and then, as I mentioned earlier, second natural follow-up question is, well, how much am I going to get? And people need to understand that Social Security benefits are related to the earnings that you've had, the more you've made, the more you've paid in Social Security tax, the higher your benefit's going to be. But in calculating anybody's benefits, Social Security calculates the benefit by averaging someone's highest, wait for it, boys, 35 years of work under the system. It's based on an average of your highest 35 years of work. Now, 10 years of work gets your foot in the door, but then, when it comes time to calculate your benefit, Social Security is averaging your highest 35 years. So what happens if you don't have 35 years where you've actually paid into the system? Well, Social Security then plugs zeros in wow. for those additional years, lowers your average monthly wage, lowers your resulting Social Security benefit. Are they so eligible for Medicare, Medicare if they qualify for Social Security? Well, you qualify for Med- – so a couple of different issues here, Jim. Part A of Medicare is hospital insurance. Right. That pays if you're an inpatient in the hospital. And with Part A, you get Part A coverage with no monthly premium as long as you've worked and paid into the Social Security system and or Medicare system for 10 years. That's the big issue. Premium-free hospital insurance, you need that same 10 years of work. Gotcha. So it might... there's also Part B of Medicare, which helps pay for non-inpatient stuff. And with that, you qualify because you pay a monthly premium. So it's the work gets you Part A or hospital insurance at no cost. But anybody who signs up for Part B, the non-inpatient doctors, medical clinic services, is going to be paying a monthly premium for that. There's no prior work requirement for Part B of Medicare. So somebody that might have opted out for Social Security and their short credits, and they we do the calculation or they do the calcul- calculation to receive those extra four credits for Social Security income, and the figure is very minimal. You know, let's just say it's $500 right. a right. month or $200 a month. But it might be very beneficial for the Medicare part to earn their credits. That's what oh, I- absolutely. Great point. And I usually make that uh, when somebody asks, you know, they're, you know, here in Massachusetts, for example, school teachers don't pay into the Social Security program, but they could have worked summer jobs and things like that. And maybe they've got, uh, you know, 
38 credits or a couple short, and people ask, well, is it worth my while um, to try and get those additional credits? And I say absolutely for the reason you just raised, Jeremy, that Medicare Part B premium, the base premium in 2016, $121.80 a month. You get a Social Security, you get your 40 credits, you qualify for a benefit, and say you're getting 150 bucks a month, a pittance, cash benefit terms, but it covers your Part B premium. So basically, you're getting Part B of Medicare, whereas if you didn't get your 40 credits and you wanted Part B, you'd be paying that 12180 out of pocket. So, mm. you know, and, and, and also, though, I think it also depends on how short are you. You know, you've got somebody who's got one year's worth, somebody's 66, they've got four Social Security credits, you know. Do they want to work another nine years or so? Yeah, that's the question for a lot of people. And I think that's what the question. Let me let me let's let's go to this one, because we get this a lot. And again, I think people misunderstand or have the wrong expectations. How does working, you know, if if I am at a point where I have started my Social Security payments at 62, which we can debate whether that's good, bad or wait to 66 or 65 or whatever the the eligibility is for them. But does working impact your ability to collect benefits? I mean, so many people, they make the decision, sometimes knee-jerking or quick, and then they come back and regret because they don't understand what really does impact the ability. So give us your thoughts, Kurt. Sure. And the answer to this question is, with many that you raise and we talk about on the show, is it depends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does. And that's kind of the hard part. Right. But what does it depend on? Well, key thing for folks You need to start this whole discussion, this whole planning, by knowing what Social Security calls your full retirement age. The month you turn for people born between 1943 and 1954, for example, that's the month you turn age 66. Now, people born after 1954, full retirement age gradually increases. Tops out anyone born 1960 or later has a Social Security full retirement age of age 67. So you need to know what Social Security calls your full retirement age, but we'll say it's somebody's 66 right now. The good news is, from the month you reach your full retirement age on, there is no earnings limitation imposed under the system, meaning from the month you hit full retirement age on, you can work and earn as much as you want and collect full Social Security payments each and every month if you choose to do so. But If you're looking to collect benefits prior to reaching your full retirement age, you need to understand that there is an earnings limitation that comes into play and impacts whether or not you're able to collect anything. And the important note is this earnings limitation applies to anyone who is under full retirement age looking to collect benefits, meaning whether you're looking to collect a retirement benefit a widow or widower's benefit or a spousal benefit. If you're under full retirement age, you're limited. 2016, the law says you can make up to $15,720 without any loss of benefit. So under full retirement age, collecting, working, as long as you make 15720 or less, you'll collect full benefits every month. But what happens if you're going to make more than that? Well, the law says that Social Security is then required to start holding back $1 in benefit payments for each $2 that you're over that threshold. So what counts towards that 15720 Just two things. 
earned income, meaning wages and or net income from self-employment. The whole wide world of unearned income, like a VA benefit, a General Motors pension, 401k distributions, bank interest, none of that counts towards that 15720 Earned income only, wages, net income from self-employment. But you make above that, Social Security required to hold back $1 in benefits for each $2 that you're over. So obviously, depending on how much you're making, there's a possibility that you won't be able to collect anything from Social Security, not because you're not old enough, not because you haven't paid in, but because your earnings preclude any type of payment. But again, at full retirement age, that earnings limitation goes away, and you can collect each and every month, regardless of the amount of money you're making. And I know that that gets automatically recalculated every year, too, right? Which thing? When you talk about this continuing to work in retirement, that, oh. that's automatically recompensed. We've got to take a break, but when we come back, I really want you to give us some of the thoughts about maximization, why it's, you know, how do we, how do we maximize Social Security? It just ties into what you're saying. If you just tuned in, we're talking with Kurt Cernowski, one of the frequent, most popular guests that we have, a guy that really helps us understand Social Security, along with Scott Jordan and Jeremy Jones. We're kind of talking about psychology of retirement, transitioning into retirement, and Social Security plays an integral part. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their tax or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return after this. The Osgood File, sponsored by the U.S. Postal Service, with expert onboarding specialists to help you find and implement the right return solution for your business. This is Charles Osgood on the CBS Radio Network. Gift cards are an easy present, but sometimes they can be too easy for criminals who have figured out a way to drain the money out of gift cards before you can even use them. A case in point after this. Here's another small business success story, sponsored by the U.S. Postal Service. Hue and Cry is an online menswear retailer that built a sizing system based on body types. To quote co-founder Philip Soriano, USPS remains the most cost-effective way to ship our products, and as an inventory-holding business, margin and cash flow are critical. Philip knows when you rely on the U.S. Postal Service, your business becomes their business. The U.S. Postal Service. Priority, you. Why should you trust in the U.S. Postal Service to deliver for your business? Because when you ship with us, your business becomes our business. Whether you have three employees or 300, you'll have a nationwide fleet of delivery trucks working for you. We make more e-commerce deliveries to homes than anyone else in the country. See what we can do for you at usps.com slash forbusiness. The United States Postal Service. Priority, you. When Alex Stevenson tried to use a gift card to buy a new TV, she gave her card to the clerk at Best Buy, and when he tried to scan it for her... It was rejecting the card, and he didn't understand why. But they soon figured out what had happened. With our CBS News colleague, Julie Watts, in California. The $200 card she'd just received for her birthday had a zero balance. A surprise to the teacher who hadn't even taken it out of its wrapper until she got to the store. And she's not alone. This card most likely was in the store for a period of time. 
Chief Joe Periucci of the Foster City Police Department says for years criminals were copying the numbers off gift cards on public displays and then returning them to the rack. They wait until the cards are activated, then drain the balance, sometimes even before the recipient has received their gift. Here's one of the tricks of the trade. Zebra stickers that can be used to cover up scratched off security panels so the buyer doesn't realize the card's been tampered with. We would love the retail stores to remove the cards from public access. Security experts say criminals are also getting the numbers through data breaches and by hacking into stores' gift card databases. So, Julie, watch, what can people do? The safest place to buy gift cards is directly from the retailer, and you should ask for gift cards that are kept behind the counter. The Osgood File. I'll see you online at Facebook, Twitter, and at theosgoodfile.com. I'm Charles Osgood on the CBS Radio Network. If you have financial questions that you would like answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And not able to um, just cover all of Social Security in an hour. So Kurt's going to write a book, and uh, I'm going to edit the book. And what we're going to do is put something out. Uh, you know, I think this is probably six or seven volume type book and uh, uh. well worth reading. And Kurt, when you get through with it, I'll be glad to edit it. So you, it's, your, it's on your desk first. How's that? Yeah, I'm retired, Jim. (laughs) Oh, but I tell you, so much information. Of course, you know that you can go to ssa.gov and go and find out a lot of information. But what Kurt does for us gives us such an energy of really what we're trying to discuss and trying to work through. So, Kurt, also welcome again to the program, and thank you for doing what you do. We have Scott Jordan and Jeremy Jones in the studios with us. We're talking about Social Security and also how it connects with transitioning to retirement and how important it plays in a role for anybody. And so I really want to kind of kick out this question. Uh, There are strategies that a lot of people, in fact, it got a lot of press in the first quarter of this year about maximizing one's Social Security. But, Kurt, reality is so many people misunderstand that. I want you to kind of take us through each of the ideas, the file and suspend that's you know, available, but walk us through what you see as the important strategies that a person needs to know for maximizing their Social Security. Sure. So you start from the basic premise that knowing what your full retirement age is, the month you hit full retirement age, under the rules, you start to take your money before you've reached your full retirement age. You get less each month. You get a reduced payment. Recognition of the fact you're collecting theoretically for a longer period of time, so you get less on an individual monthly basis. As you said, you can start as early as age 62. Now, if you opt to wait past full retirement age, though, before starting to collect, now your payment is increased. You accrue what are called delayed retirement credits. Your benefits increase two-thirds percent per month for each month you don't collect. 8% per year, if you will, but these delayed retirement credits only accrue until age 70. But you never have to take your money, but you opt to defer from full retirement age all the way until age 70. For somebody who's got a full retirement age of 66, at age 70, the payment amount you get is 32% higher than what you would have received had you started at your full retirement age. Again, you've waited. Now, when these reduction and increase rate were set so many years ago, designed to come out about even, regardless of when you had started to collect because of average life expectancy at the time. But these days, average life expectancy is increasing. And so that's why when I get asked 
for a recommendation, I tend to think and say that good things come to those who wait, because by waiting, you get a higher monthly payment. And for many baby boomers, they don't have that traditional defined benefit pension. They may have a defined contribution type 401k, which later in retirement may have diminished. Healthcare costs may be higher, so you may have a greater need for a higher monthly payment later in retirement. And so by one way you can help meet that greater need is by delaying the start of your Social Security benefits. So extent that you can wait, I think it's a good thing these days, largely because life expectancy, average life expectancy is increased. For a man, full retirement age these, these days, average life expectancy is age 84. For a woman, it's, it's age 86. So first and foremost, in terms of maximizing, I tend to think by waiting, that's and, and I'm sure you and Jeremy and, and Scott are advising clients that same way. To the extent you can wait, it does help maximize your benefits. And you live to average life expectancy. You come out ahead over the long run. So when I get asked, what's the single most easiest way to maximize your lifetime benefits? I say, wait until age 70 to start and then just live forever. But absent that, there are some other strategies that are available to help people tide them over, if you will, in terms of aiming to wait until age 70 to collect. One was the old file and suspend strategy that has been changed significantly by the bipartisan budget bill of 2015. That was strategy available to anyone at full retirement age, been eliminated for anyone who hadn't exercised it by April 29th of this year. Basically with file and suspend, it allowed someone to wait, defer collecting, but it allowed benefits to be paid to someone else on the record. So typically you could have a husband who'd opt to defer, wait till age 70 to increase his payment, but it would still allow a benefit to be paid to the spouse and or kids while the, the, the husband or father was not collecting. Basically that's gone away. What is still available though is something called claim some now, claim more later. Again, these pertain to couples. And it's the situation where one member of the couple is collecting. One member of the couple is collecting. If the other member of the couple is at full retirement age, under this claim some now, claim more later strategy, they have the option at full retirement age of taking just a spousal benefit, receive 50% of the other member's full retirement age amount, and they're able to defer collecting their own retirement benefit. By deferring, they're increasing their own benefit by accruing those delayed retirement credits, growing it. 8% per year, and at age 70, able to collect an amount 32% higher than what they would have received at full retirement age. But to sweeten the pot, they would have been receiving this spousal payment in the meantime. Now, this strategy has been phased out by that legislation last year, but it remains an option for anyone who was born January 1st, 1954 or earlier, meaning anyone who was 62 years of age or older at the end of 2015, does at full retirement age still have the option of exercising the strategy claiming just the spousal benefit and deferring collection of their own. So that's the strategy is still out there for people to think about. But the key thing is, as I said, I think good things come to those who wait because it ensures that you have a higher monthly payment later in life when you may well need it more. That's critical for when our planning process. And in the planning process, Jeremy, Scott, you guys see this a lot. The person's 40 years old. Kind of lead us with that, Scott. I mean, I'm, or Jeremy, Scott, either one. Scott, you go ahead. 
Well, a lot of times with with younger people, you know, we see, and I'm I'm uh, blown away by the fact that even with high income earners, Social Security is is a very important part of the retirement calculations, and and we we get a little get this from younger people a lot is I I don't even want to plan on Social Security. I don't know if it's going to be there, so don't even include it in the calculations. What are your thoughts around that? Sure, and I tend to say when asked by younger folks, well, is Social Security going to be there for me? I say, well, yes, I believe it will be, and I'll tell you why in a second, but I think it's important to emphasize to younger workers that they need to recognize that Social Security is there for them today. You know, most of our discussions in the show always focus on the retirement program, but it's important to remind everyone, but particularly younger workers, that by paying into the Social Security program, they are also earning disability protection for themselves and their family if something happens and they're unable to work. They're also earning survivor benefit protection for their family if something happens to them and they pass away on an untimely basis. Right now, about 9 million folks receive a monthly Social Security disability benefit because they're disabled and unable to work. About nearly 2 million kids under the age of 18 receive a payment each month because their parent is collecting disability benefits. On the survivor side, again, close to 2 million kids receiving a benefit from Social Security because their parent has passed away and they're receiving survivor benefits. So it's an important point that Social Security is more than just a retirement program, provides survivor benefit protection for families of workers who pass away on an untimely basis, provides disability protection for workers and families who become unable to work. We all hope we'll enter the workforce, have that long, slow, steady climb to comfortable retirement, but you know, as well as I do, stuff happens, and Social Security provides that assistance when that stuff happens. But in terms of the longer range, I always like to say I think reports of Social Security's demise are greatly exaggerated. You know, Social Security's Board of Trustees issues an annual report on the financial health of the system. 2016 report came out at the end of June. Basically, the trustees say that as currently constituted, assuming no changes to the program whatsoever, they project Social Security will be able to pay 100% of promised benefits each and every month between now and the year 2034. At that point, assuming no changes occur, and I can't believe Congress won't deal with the issue before then, trustees project that point Social Security will still have revenue sufficient to pay 79% of promised benefits going forward. So in terms of planning, I think People need to understand Social Security's primary source of income is payroll tax dollars from employers, employees, and the self-employed. Absent a complete and total collapse of the economy, Social Security is always going to have a revenue stream of some sort. It's never going to be at the position where Social Security has no money whatsoever. So I think in helping young people plan and understand, they need to recognize that Social Security generates income from Folks who are working, there's always going to be a revenue stream. So the question is, at what level will benefits be paid? And I think for planning purposes, worst case scenario is no changes occur and benefits are paid at that 79% of what's projected right now under current law. So well, I think planning for zero is probably, for younger workers, planning for zero is um, wrong, I think. Uh, probably planning for 100% of what's shown up in the statement is probably wrong as well, somewhere uh, in the middle, but I think a safe number, 79%, because that's, that's 
That's a Projected great to be planning. paid yeah. absent any changes. That's a great planning number. That's what I appreciate you giving us that. I think we could, you know, we knew that and we kind of use that now. But I think just the fact that you substantiate that again, I think planners in some cases have downplayed Social Security almost to a point of uh, being in, inappropriate with the downplay. I think we should play it right and and be as open and it ensure somebody help somebody understand it's there. But, again, it's knowing how to do that and, and the appropriate way to do that. Well, I think it's important. Everybody needs to understand that it's not just a future benefit. Yeah. It's, it's current. A, it's a current benefit Absolutely. that you're paying into, and that's important. And I think sometimes that's downplayed too much, too, for a reason to sell something to supplement it instead of saying it's a part of your plan. Kurt, always, you do a wonderful job, sir. I appreciate your friendship. Appreciate the time that we're on the program together. You're always giving us information that helps us understand the importance of Social Security and why we should use it, how to use it. Thank you, sir. By the way, question for you, Red Sox, uh, pin it? Oh, pin yep, it? Yep, yep. They're going to get it. They're going to close, close strong. <laughs> okay, I thought maybe you shipped it already to the – Yeah, I thought maybe you'd already shipped it to the Patriots, but obviously you're saying done, huh? Well, we're, you know, pausing on the Patriots. Brady's out the first four weeks, and then they're going to come back and uh, steamroll the rest of the league. Steamroll the rest. <laughs> I love it. That's I possible. It. It's yeah. possible. It is possible. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. Thank you so much for what you do. Take care, guys. Talk okay. to you in a couple of months. All right. Bye-bye. Well, guys, here's what he's done. He gives us such a great amount of information, and I do think some financial planners downplay Social Security because they're trying to, yeah, and absolutely. I get that, but that's not the way we do it. That's not how you do it. When we work together, working with a client, when the guys in the office work together, we try to look at every source of potential income, and Social Security is a part of that source, not only for future income, but as we said, Jeremy, you just brought out, it is a part of that today income should a catastrophe happen, and you have to plan with that being a part of a plan. Absolutely. And two, back to the people who are available to opt out, need to understand the current oh, no benefit of it. Yeah, now he made a comment that maybe those that are not, uh, you know, that we've removed that option. That was an option early in the 70s. Right. And uh, now I think that's been, and that had a lot to do with the Vietnam War, guys. I can just tell you that was right. that was kind of a pressure cooker. Yeah. And uh, that's been taken away from us now. And that's good. I think it is good. I think because, by the way, everybody that said, not everybody, most people that said I'm opting out said they would do something to supplement it and be personal, and they didn't do that, and that's the mistake. Well, Scott said it earlier. It's even people with high income you know, or high earnings, and they have a lot of assets. Social Security is still a big part of the retirement income stream, and we look at it every day, and mm. every little bit helps. Yeah, good point. Prior to we started, we gave you a question. We set this up from a standpoint of, the psychology of going through Social Security. But, Scott, give me, there's some uh, there's some data from a recent study at MetLife that I really want you to kind of lay out to help people get kind of an understanding of what baby boomers, uh, that's that group we're talking about, the 60, you know, getting ready to retire, started turning 65 last year. Talk to me about that. What are some of those that said, some, some of the things that that study said? Well, yeah, this study, it, it came from the MetLife Mature Market Institute, and they uh, surveyed baby boomers that were age 65. And they talked about the top reasons for retiring. And, and of course, the top one, 36 percent of the respondents were did retire because they wanted to. But I think the, the more staggering statistics were that 18 uh, percent of those that that retired uh, were for health reasons. And then another 14 percent. So you're looking at over half uh, retired, not because they wanted to, but uh, 
because they were just tired of working, uh, you know, overstressed out on their jobs. And then another 16 percent were from uh, the loss of the job or, or no job opportunities in the marketplace. Yeah, that tells you that there's that the issue of unemployment that came up or or we saw a whole lot of downsizing during the recession. So, again, I guess what you've got is it's it, you, you're glad to see that 36 percent. I'm ready. Yep. I've earned the right. I've got the ability to. But those other numbers kind of bring it to that point. So we have worked with a lot of people that approach retirement. We have experienced that. I mean, we have sat across the table with people you could tell. We've even recommended some of these people to go and seek some outside counsel and professional help because you could see the worry or the concern, even though we could set and show them numbers that said, you're going to be great. Yeah, yeah. But it was the all of a sudden, what am I going to do with myself? So let's talk about some of that. The being, if they're if financially prepared is the thought process, what's the other challenge that you see when you guys, when we're sitting across the table, you guys, I guess for the listening audience, you understand these, I am working, this is my team, this is the guys that we work together every day, every case, every thought process. We're blessed. Uh, these two guys are smart. Wicked smart, and I get to kind of ride along on their coattails uh, working with clients. So this is when I talk to these guys, we are talking about cases we're working on a regular basis. So the challenge, and let's go to you, Scott. What do you see when working with clients, when you are working with them? They may say one thing to me, but sometimes they say a lot of different things to you when they're approaching retirement. Well, yeah, I think a lot of it is, is the psychological aspects of of making that transition. Uh, you know, a lot of the clients that we work with, they've been successful. They've had great careers, maybe in leadership roles or managerial roles. And it's it's tougher for them to walk away from that than they thought it would be. I mean, we can show them all day long. The numbers look good. You can do it. You'll be fine. Your lifestyle won't be affected. But they have a hard time letting go of that role that they've become accustomed to for, for most of their life. You know, we talk about a lot of people, Jeremy, that they talk about not only the role that they've been that they've gone to, and then you say, uh, what do you do? I am, and they got a role. Exactly. Now exactly. all of a sudden it's, what do you do? I am retired. It doesn't have that same... Uh, the, the psychology is there, and what do I do? What do I? What am I going to do with well, my time? Well, some people, uh, it's their life. Yeah, you yeah. know, it becomes part of you and who you are. It's your identity. Uh, your identity, and it, you enjoy it. Part of that too, and that really, that really is the hard part. Is okay. Where Where is my identity now? Who am I? What am I going to do? And what am I going to do with my time? Now, that's a very difficult one for people to think about. I think the other one is about their job and do they enjoy it? Yeah. We talk about that and a lot of people don't realize and we work with a lot of clients of this is they they want to retire but what they're saying is is they don't want to do what they're doing today. Right. And so we have to talk through it with them as saying okay, it's not really retirement is quitting the stressful job. I've we've had people that almost, you know, saying how tough is it? Well, they they've said you know, I get up and put my shoes on in the morning and I got tears in my eyes. Well, that's a sign right there. Yeah. That's not good. That's not healthy. So it doesn't mean retire is quitting what you're doing today and go find something you like making. You don't have to make as much it's as you a, were making. It's that, it's that re-engineering of yourself. It's that transition. Okay. They don't want to quit working because they want to use their work their brain, yep. you know, make it work and they could do that for another seven to ten years. And we've worked with a lot of people, a lot of clients, helping them make that transition because we could show them they were financially capable of doing that and assist them 
that sometimes is such a comfort. Psychology Today, I know you did some research, Scott, about what Psychology was Today was saying in an article they wrote about some questions. There are four of them. Let's deal with number one. Go ahead and tell me what that is. Do you enjoy your job? That's a question. Yeah, and Jeremy kind of touched on this. You know, is is how how do you identify? Is your life identified with your job? You know, does it provide that sense of meaning and purpose for your life? And you know, for people who really enjoy their job, and that's that's a big part of their life. You know, retiring and completely walking away from that might not be the best choice, even though it's financially viable. It might not be the best choice at that point. And Psychology life. Today was saying that actually makes the transition more difficult. It does. It absolutely. And, you know, and, you know, I mentioned, you know, people with uh, with really important or leadership roles or manager, it can be traumatic to make that transition and go into that. I, I was uh, reading another article in the Canadian Journal of uh, Counseling and Psychology, and the author, John Osborne, talked about the fact that people can actually go through, through a grieving process once that, you know, initial excitement of being retired wears off and, and kind of that void sets. I had a client that told me, he said, you know, I'm going to play golf. And I said, for how long? And he said, oh, about two months. And I mean, he was serious. Yeah. He said, I'm not going to make him. He said, now some people, that becomes what they do. Sure. But he said, you know, I, can, I can't, I can't go to the golf course every day and call that fulfilling. Now he happened to be a pretty good golfer, but, but the point was it just wasn't in his psyche. Sure. He was talking about that grieving period but he knew he had to get through that. That's right, what you're talking right. about. So people need to expect that if they're approaching retirement. There may or may not be a grieving re- period. It's not the same as it was 50 years ago. We have people back then that said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Today, there's so much more energy sometimes for people in their 60s, uh, even in their 70s. We have one guy that I know that says, hey, he's 70. He says, I'm not about to retire. He enjoys what he does. And he's able to do that. So what's the question number two? If your job is stressful, is it retirement you seek? As Jeremy said a little bit, or is it a change in a career? Absolutely. You know, for some people, maybe it's just they're stressed out in their current position and they're, and they're not ready to completely leave the workforce. Maybe it's time to look at doing something a little different. You know, maybe even go back to school, learn a new skill or or get involved in a different job that provides a new challenge and, and a chance to still work in the workforce. But, you know, take some of that stress off. The Jeremy, table. you were talking about kind of in preparation for the program, a couple says, hey, we're going to retire. And they were retiring kind of early and they were going to Disney World and working at Disney World. Now, they're not in Disney World type jobs today. No. Not in any question about that. So that's really what you're talking about, something that changes your environment. Fitting your social needs, fitting what you enjoy, what you like to be a part of your life. And, you know, that's having that opportunity is, is critical. Now, part of it, too, is going to it with benefits. Yeah. You know, seeking out the job that you enjoy, but also what does it provide right. for you? And that's almost a social life. I mean, right. these I know these people and I know they're thinking we don't want to go and just work in some little place where we don't have social. This is an environment to go to Disney World, which I think is great, but they're going because it's going to provide them enjoyment with kids and social life. It's a complete career change. But it's doing it at a time in their life. They're saying, this is what we want to do. Well, they grew up with their kids taking them all the time. And yeah. they, they really enjoyed that aspect of it. And they see that their next phase of life, as their kids are gone now, that they can go and enjoy and do that in their next stage of life. You know, again, let me do this. And, guys, fourth question. I mean, we kind of covered the whole idea, you know, the, 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 in review, the four questions. I mean, we've, we've kind of said, okay, there's a lot of aspects to retirement. Psychology Today kind of laid a couple of things out, and it said, you know, number one, sense of meaning, purpose in your life. If that's key, that's good. 
Number two, is it stressful or is it time that Jeremy talked about put your shoes on, you cry? Probably too stressful. Third, social life. Is it going to, can you make a transition that gives you social life? But number four, are you psychologically prepared and do you have a strategy? Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, the the thing there is, is have you realistically considered what retirement life is going to be like? You know, you know, we talked about this. A lot of people have unrealistic expectations that they're just going to golf all day, play tennis or, uh, you know, travel. And I think you have to be mentally prepared for the fact that that might not be enough to replace, you know, the role of working and uh you have to ask yourself really, you know, what, what hobbies, what are you going to get involved in to fill your time that's going to replace that critical work-life structure that, that working in the workforce provided in your life? What does that mean to you, Jeremy, when he says that? Well, I think you have, we talk about planning all the time. I think you got to have an idea of what you're going to do. Uh, I mean, just cutting it off one day to the next and anything you do is not good. Do you have a date that they should start doing this? You guys think about that? I think you start early. You know, if if you have time and you're in your early, 50s, give me give me five years, five to ten, maybe okay. even start start diversifying your life, getting involved in other things and organizations that provide opportunities to to develop a social network or contribute. empty nesters. Your kids are gone out think of the house. It. You're thinking about it. Guys, as always, you do a great job. I appreciate We've given people some thought things here today. That's what's happened. Kurt has done a great job of giving us Social Security, tying it into this transition. Just thank Kurt, and I thank Scott and Jeremy. I want to thank my producer, John McCommon, Francis Coordinator, Francis Cordner for the coordination, production assistants, Eleanor Moskovitz, Jim Shoemaker. Of course, I try to do all the compliance work. Mid-South History Moment. Of course, probably Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. Thank you so much for being a part of today's program. You've been listening to Talk Money, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We'll see you again next week. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. CBS News at the top of every hour and the most local talk in the Mid-South. This is AM 990 KWAM Memphis.